Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Uh, I would like to apologize in advance if there are any audio issues we're having to improvise this evening. Had some connectivity issues and having to try a couple different options to make this work. So I hope this uh, sound quality is up to par, up to snuff. Um, if not, apologies, hopefully better next week, but thank you so much for tuning in. First, we want to thank our sponsor, Mile Social. Mile Social helps you handle all of your social networking needs, your social media needs. They will take care of, <clears throat> they will take care of your websites, your SEOs and all social media. Check out Mile Social at M-I-L-E social.com. That's milesocial.com. So. Plenty to cover, even though we uh, not not a lot of news in the making. But uh, one story that came out yesterday that we'll discuss at length, uh, or for a little bit anyway, from Jets beat writer Brian Costello, who covers the Jets for the New York Post and has for several years. Uh, had an interesting tidbit about the Jets yesterday. We're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, Possible free agent and draft targets. We're not going to do a mock draft. A little bit early for that still, even though uh, a lot of people are churning them out because they get clicks. We'll just we'll talk about some options, some some possible targets in rounds one through four. Uh, Want to talk a little bit about busts, draft busts, not specific names. I mean, we we will talk about some names uh, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, and I say all the time I'm terrible at at at. Uh, Sending out the, the Twitter handle. Uh, if you're not following on Twitter, uh, give me a follow. AceFan23. AceFan23. Uh, I don't do a lot of hot takes. Not a lot of crazy stuff off the wall. Um, just random thoughts or notes or news items as I come across them. What they could mean for the team. Things like that. But yeah, AceFan23. But anyway, I sent out a tweet last week <clears throat> showing the Jets' top 10 draft picks. Um, any, every player they've picked in the top 10 over the last 30 years and how, how well that has or has not worked out, which spurned a, a pretty good debate with a few listeners who uh, chimed in and agreed with some stuff, disagreed with some others, and it kind of got me thinking, and I wanted to throw it out there on the air. So we'll talk about past draft jet, Jets draft busts. In the, we're talking top 10 picks here, um, so we're not going to be hearing about Christian Hackenberg and uh, basically anybody taken outside that slot. So top 10 draft pick bust. We're going to look at rounds one through four, some options there, and the news about the players who the Jets did not pick up options on yesterday. And, of course, we'll we'll talk a little bit about Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. So starting starting off here, the as I said at the beginning, Brian Costello, the New York Post, reports that a team source has informed him that the Jets – despite many people expecting new defensive coordinator Greg Williams to bring his 4-3 defense with him, Williams will apparently be sticking with a 3-4, which is which came as a surprise to a lot of people, myself included. And that's not to say that a 3-4 doesn't make sense for this team. So now with the 4-3, we talked about how that could benefit Leonard Williams, and I, I think that most people are on board with that. But outside of Leo... You know, Darren Lee, we talked about maybe do they move him outside, make him a rush guy or keep him in the middle where he can cover more ground. You know, the concern there is that he, he does get eaten up by the by bigger, you know, guards and centers. And he did a better job last year of, of defeating some blocks, but still isn't a guy who's shown he can do it consistently. 
And then what do you do with Avery Williamson? I mean, you almost have to move Darren Lee outside because of Williamson's contract. And that, that's all if they stayed with the 4-3. So here's why the 3-4 does make sense. Uh, as I just mentioned, the linebackers. You can keep Darren Lee and Avery Williamson in the middle. Williamson's making a ton of money, and he played well last year. Darren Lee, entering his fourth season, had his best year as a pro. Doesn't mean he didn't make a stupid mistake or several stupid, stupid mistakes during the season because, as, as has been reported, uh, player suspensions under the substance abuse policy don't come until you have multiple violations. So we don't know what Darren Lee was using. We know it was not peds. I, I keep seeing people say, oh, my God, this peed stuff. Darren Lee, oh, that's why he played well because he was on peds. He was not suspended for peds. He was suspended for violating the league's substance abuse policy, not performance enhancer policy. Neither one is good. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying there's a difference. And to say that he only played well because we now know he's on peds is inaccurate. We don't know if he was on peds. We know he was on something that is on the banned substance list. So anyway, Darren Lee, you hope he keeps, you know, you hope he keeps his nose clean. And you hope he keeps trending in the right direction where he was, you know, he's very good in coverage last year, better against the run. Not great, but better. You have him and Williamson in the middle. And now, of course, you have Jordan Jenkins on the outside, who we talked about previously as a guy who probably wouldn't fit as a, in, in Greg Williams 4-3. Maybe you give him some work at defensive end, but you don't know how that's going to turn out. So now Jordan Jenkins probably keeps his job, although it may not be a lock with Adam Gase. And it shouldn't be. He's a good player, but he's not he's not Lawrence Taylor. If they find a better player, they find a better player. But I'm rooting for I, I like I like Jordan Jenkins. I think he's a high character guy, good player. Uh, but you, that allows you to keep him out there. It opens the door to bring in Josh Allen. Makes it more likely they bring in Josh Allen to play on the other side of Jordan Jenkins. And now maybe Jordan Jenkins, instead of being a a guy who gets you seven sacks, maybe gets you ten. Maybe gets you eleven. You know, who knows? You got you've got a more aggressive defense now presumably under Greg Williams, and you may have a, a legitimate edge rusher on the opposite side, which could only help. So it probably a good probably good news for Jenkins. Uh how it affects the draft, and we've we've you know, we talked about uh or I mentioned a second ago how this opens up the door for Josh Allen. And this is what made me wonder if this story is true and not not if 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 Brian Costello is reporting false news. But if what's being given to him is being put out there, like maybe you're the Jets and maybe Quentin Williams is your top guy. Maybe he's the guy you want at three. Maybe you look at Quentin Williams and think, this guy might be Warren Sapp. This might be a Hall of Fame type player. We want this guy. And so maybe you're less likely to take him in a 3-4 and you're more likely to lean toward Josh Allen. So you put that little nugget out there and maybe a team that would have traded up ahead of you or you know, wanted wanted to target Quentin Williams. Maybe now they sit back and go, okay, this guy's less of a fit. You know, Josh Allen makes more sense in a three four. Um, well, see, my gut is that it, my gut is that they go with a three four, for the reasons I just mentioned. Williamson's making a ton of money. Darren Lee going in the right direction. It makes Jordan Jenkins, you know, keeps him valuable, and and opens the door for a Henry Anderson return. Because we all kind of felt like he was, uh, you know, felt like Henry Anderson's departure was a sure thing because of the fact that they were going to a 4 3 and he wasn't a great fit. So now maybe Henry Anderson comes back, Leo stays. The nose is going to be interesting, and this is what I was going to get into next. 
is that there was news the other day that the Jets, for whatever reason, opted not to not to pick up the options on a few different players. Um, Mike Pennell, defensive lineman Mike Pennell, Kevin Pierre-Louis, the inside linebacker, and Terrence Brooks, backup safety. So Pennell, Pennell got, a, got a lot of reps. Pierre-Louis, Brooks are backs up, backups. But it's, it's the Pennell and the, and the Pierre-Louis that doesn't make a lot of sense if you're staying with a 3-4. Not that these, not that these are uh, you know game changing players, but if you're the Jets right now, you only have 39 guys under contract. You need you need depth. Everyone needs depth across the board. So if you keep Pennell and Pierre Louis under under contract, neither one making a ton of money. You know, two you know around two million each somewhere in that neighborhood. There's no harm in keeping them on board. Now you have to believe if they let Pennell go. They like the idea of Fuller runs a Fadakasi. Had a red shirt year. Interior D lineman out of a small school. Uh, you know, big jump to the NFL. With Pennell and McClendon, he didn't, there wasn't really an ur- urgent need to have Fadakasi on the field. So maybe he's a red shirt and they view him as a starter. Pierre Louis spent the year injured a lot, but I loved what I saw out of him in camp. I loved what I saw out of him on film with the Chiefs before the Jets signed him. I thought he'd be a real quality backup, played very well on special teams for the Jets, and for whatever reason, they opted to let him go too. So you're down, you know, you have 39 guys under contract, and newsflash, 10, 11, 12 of those guys are practice squad types. So really, it's uh, you need some bodies in here. So that's why letting Pennell and Pierre-Louis go doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's not like you needed to you know, free up cap space. I don't think the difference between $95 million and $99 million is going to greatly impact your approach in free agency. So a little, little bit of a head-scratcher there with both moves. But <clears throat> they did what they did. Pennell, Pierre-Louis, Terrence Brooks, all gone. As I said, opens the door for Fadakasi. And Brooks, you know, Brooks was a nice player as a backup, but I think they like Middleton. And and even more so, Brandon Bryant, the undrafted rookie last year. The uh, end of the supplemental draft wasn't taken. Jets signed him as a free agent. Um, as I said, I've said a few times, if you go back and watch that final preseason game, and yes, I get it, it's preseason, I know. But uh, he looked like a solid player in that, that fourth preseason game. You kind of looked at him and thought, oh, okay, this is what the this is what the Jets see in this guy. So maybe they liked him enough that they felt like he could stay on board. That erases a, a need for another backup safety, especially with Doug Middleton. So you've got May, you've got Adams, you've got Middleton, and you've got Bryant. So maybe that's why you let Terrence Brooks walk. But either way, they're gone. Greg Greg Williams expected to stay with a 3-4. And he's and you know as we've said before, Greg Williams runs a ton of fronts. You know you see it all over Twitter. You see, you just watch watch some games, watch some of the stuff he did with the Rams. Look at what he did with the Browns. A lot of different fronts. You know, there's no, uh, there's no. It's not like he's married. No, no defensive coordinator anymore is married to a scheme where they're playing it a ton, a ton of time. You know, a high percentage of the time. 
We know this. You know, your base defense now, of course it's important, but it's probably never been less important given the frequency with which we see teams come out in nickel and dime sets to 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 defend, you know, four and five receiver sets. It happens a lot. You have a lot of these hybrid players who can come in and, you know, you can disguise in a lot of different spots, which is why for me personally right now today, if I'm picking three for the Jets, I want Josh Allen. Because Josh Allen can get after the passer, because Josh Allen can drop back and pass coverage better than you would expect a guy his size, I like the idea of him and Jamal Adams both being around the line of scrimmage and defenders not really knowing what either one of them are going to do because they can both get after the quarterback and they can both cover. So it'll give Greg Williams the opportunity to show a lot of looks up front. So the 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 possibility of both those guys and Greg Williams' defense is enticing to me. I know there are a lot of talks about some other options they could go with in that spot in the top 10. But for me personally, I would I would go with Josh Allen. I mean, well, I you know, I've said it before. Trade down with my number one option. That's what I'd really like to see happen. But and I I think given the as as few or as many holes as they have on this roster, or just as many roster spots, open spots on the roster, um, the Jets should be looking to acquire more picks and probably will. But they will be picking again as of today, third overall. In the top 10. So with that, let's talk about the Jets' top 10 picks or picks inside the top 10 over the last 30 years. There have been how many total? Nine, 11. 11 times the Jets have picked in the top 10 over the last 30 years. Those picks are as follows. And actually, I, I take that back. We're not going to include the last three. We're not going to include Leo. We're not going to include Jamal Adams. We're not going to include Sam Darnold because the book is not written on those guys yet. They all look like they can play. Okay? At, at varying levels, yes, Leonard Williams has been a, a bit of a disappointment up to now, but he can still play. He's not D. Milner. Okay? He's not Vernon Golston. He's not Mark Sanchez. He's a guy who can play, even if he's even if he spends the rest of his career, if he spends another 10, 12 years in the league as a as an above average defensive lineman, because that's what he is right now. He will have been a good player. And that that and before we get into the exact picks. I want to talk I wanted to talk about defining a bust. How do you define a bust? There is no. You know, there is no universally accepted definition among NFL fans for the term bust. You know, I, I know for years I felt like the term bust meant you're terrible. You don't belong in the league. You were a wasted draft pick. You you busted out of the league, basically. Whether it's Tony Mandarich or Vernon Golston or any of these guys, Ryan Leaf, who within a couple of years, they're out of the league. That I always thought that was my always my definition of a bust for years. And I, I would get in arguments with people, and it still happens now, and it happened on Twitter the other day. Cordial, kept it cordial. Always try to, you know, take the high road on the, twi- on the Twitter. But I view a bust now, and this is because really, like I said, the, looking, I, I, I Googled it. I looked up NFL terms, bust, and the best I could find was a couple sites that said a bust is a player who doesn't meet expectations. That's pretty broad. 
Because honestly, whose expectations are we talking about here? Because fans, fans can be crazy. And fans want everyone to be great. If you went by some people's definition or by some people's expectations, you'd be you'd have to say about 98% of NFL draft picks are busts. So to say fall short of expectations, I mean, unless it's blatantly obvious, then who decides the player is a bust? So the way I look at it now in trying to trying to trying to decide what what in my mind justifies a bust is that if you can't make a valid case that it not even not a GM that an owner if you gave an owner a crystal ball and he could see into the future is there any chance he would make that same pick again if not you're a bust the team regrets having drafted you. And I don't mean just because the guy after you was better than you are. Just talking from a from a measured, reasonable perspective. Could you look at the player and say, you know what? The guy didn't meet our expectations, but but you know, we could have done a lot worse. We we'd make that move again. And again, there, there's no there's no perfect definition. Everyone's got their own definition. I had somebody tell me one time. That Desmond Howard was not a bust as an NFL draft pick. And I think that's kind of what got me, what got me in this, you know, gave me that definition. Because I said to the guy, you know, he said, uh, Desmond Howard wasn't a bust because he won a Super Bowl MVP as a punt returner or a kick returner. And I said to him, so if you were the owner that drafted Desmond Howard, if you were the Washington Redskins, you would make that pick again? <laughs> you would draft Desmond Howard all over again with the fourth overall pick? And by year four, he's not on your team anymore? That's a bust. Because a guy had a good moment or a hundred good moments with a team other than the team that drafted him, that's a bust. And that's what I'm, I'm not even saying every bust is a bad player. Okay, and that, that's, that's part of the crux of this. Because one of the busts on here, and I'll get to them in a second, is a guy who went on to have a really good career. But as a Jet, he wasn't good. So as a Jets fan, looking at Jets draft picks... That's what I'm looking at that pick and saying, would the Jets ownership make that pick again? If I tell you this guy's name and you look at his numbers with the Jets and see that you let him walk after his rookie deal because you didn't think he was that good. Oh, but but he made a bunch of Pro Bowls with another team. I don't care about the other team. I'm talking about New York Jets players and draft picks and whether or not they were a bust for the New York Jets. Whether or not the guy was good somewhere else is another conversation. So yes, in my mind, you can be a bust and still have a good career. Maybe you're not a bust in NFL terms, but I'm not talking NFL. I'm talking Jets. Jets top 10 picks over the last 30 years before Mike McCagnan arrived. They were as follows. 
D. Milner, 2013. It was a bust. Okay, and you know, and I I did a little article on this, and and I think that's one pick where John Idzik probably gets a little too much heat. As much of a screw up and a failure as John Idzik was, D. Milner was rated in that slot. A million mock drafts had him going to the top ten. Everyone looks back, goes, "Oh, he had all those injuries in college. He never missed any games in college." Guys get nicked up. Guys get dinged up. Players get nicked up in college and miss some games here and there. D. Milner never missed a game in college. Had a terrible start to his career. Then over the last month of his rookie season, he looked fantastic. Phenomenal. And you thought, okay, he's coming into his own. And then the guy could just never get healthy after that. Okay? Matter of fact, the last time we saw him on an NFL football field for a full game, came in his second season, and I believe it was against the San Diego Chargers. And he had a pretty damn good game. Some passes defended. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, it was the uh, the Geno Smith movie game. So that, but that's a pick you wouldn't make again. You can't. That's a bust. That's not even questionable. Okay, so prior to prior to D. Milner, the most recent top ten pick before that, Mark Sanchez. This is a this is a hotly contested discussion among Jets fans. I don't care what anybody says. He was a bust. Yeah, he won a couple playoff games. Fantastic. Great. Amazing. Lifetime with the Jets. 68 touchdowns through the air. 69 interceptions. And a 55% completion percentage. How many times did we have to watch that guy throw into double coverage? His teammates, Darrell Rivas, Damian Woody, Bart Scott, guys who played on that team, guys who played offense, guys who played defense, they've come out since then and said he held us back. He couldn't throw anything, you know, outside the intermediate range. He wasn't very good. I get that for Jets fans like myself who have been following this team for 30, you know, who didn't see the Super Bowl, their Super Bowl victory a million years ago. But I've been around a little while, 30 years as a Jets fan. And if you've been a Jets fan for 30 years or less, I don't say how I don't see how you could argue that that win against New England in New England in the playoffs, it's the the most enjoyable victory you've ever had as a Jets fan. If if there's another one, I I I would ask you to you know to offer your uh, your take on that, but to me that's probably the biggest win outside the damn Super Bowl win. Okay, so yes, thank you, Mark Sanchez. You played the game of your life in Foxborough and gave myself and other Jets fans a, an incredible evening, an incredible moment where we thought the team might be special. Okay, however, one big game and even two or three big games. I mean, oh, he had the four playoff wins. Yeah, one of them came against the Chargers when he threw for 99 yards. The guy was carried by his defense and special team, by his defense and running game and special teams chipped in. That's why Mark Mark Sanchez didn't, that's like when, that's like the Tebow heads. who was, oh, look at all these games, Tebow's winning in the last minute. Yeah, they're beating everybody with last second field goals because the defense is having to pitch shutouts. And it takes Tebow three and a half quarters to make a play. If you didn't have the best defense in the NFL or a top three defense, 
you'd, you'd win, you know, two, three games a year with a quarterback like that. Same thing with Mark Sanchez. If the Jets didn't have the number one defense and running game in the NFL with him, they're a three or four win team. And then he goes to being a backup. And a couple years later, he's third string. Now he's a street free agent. Did he, he played a couple games with the Redskins last year. Looked decent one week, came out the next week. He was Sanchez again. Benched. That's a bust. Top 10 picket quarterback. Just because the defensive running game dragged him to a couple playoff wins. And again, he that Cincinnati game, he played well. But how did he play well in those games? What did they do? Go back and watch that game. I think the run-pass ratio was something like 41 to 16. They just ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. Play action, completion. Run, 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 run. Play action, completion. They had to hide him. They were so limited by what they could do on offense on him, they had to pull out every trick in the book to hide the quarterback and let the defense and running game make all the plays. If you're a top 10 picket quarterback, and after five years, you have more touchdowns and interceptions, 55% completion percentage, can't win another starting job, and you're out of the league a few years later, that's a bust. Yes, granted, a bust who had a couple of nice Sundays. A bust who won a couple playoff games. Fantastic. The Jets never gave him a chance. Did the Eagles not give him a chance? Did the Bears not give him a chance? Did the Redskins not give him a chance? How many teams does he have to fail with before you say, you know what, guy's not very good? And I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm sure he's a wonderful human being. But spare me this. Mark Sanchez won us four playoff games. No, Mark Sanchez was the quarterback on a team that won four playoff games. This wasn't Peyton Manning or Tom Brady putting his team on his back and, and carrying them to victory. If he doesn't fumble that, 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 if he doesn't have that fumble in the first half of the Pittsburgh game that gets run back for a touchdown, that team maybe goes to the Super Bowl. That was a difference in that game. I mean, yeah, that, that Jets defense got beat up pretty good in the first half, but they didn't give up a lot of points. They had every chance to win that game, and Sanchez was absolutely lights out in the second half. He was so good in the second half that the Jets would have won that game if he hadn't fumbled in the first half and gave Pittsburgh a touchdown. So Mark Sanchez, couple of nice moments. Granted, thank you so much for the win in New England. Much appreciated. Bust. 2008, Vernon Golston. Biggest bust in franchise history. There is no close second. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you say. Don't talk to me about Christian Hackenberg. Don't talk to me about Johnny Lamb Jones. Don't talk to me about Dwayne Robertson. Hackenberg's out of the conversation automatically because he's a second rounder. Don't care. We're talking big. If you want to talk biggest busts. Lamb Jones, oh, they gave up two first-rounders. They gave up two picks to move up to get him. Dwayne Robertson gave up two picks to move up and get him. Blair Thomas, second overall pick. Highest guy on the list, right? He was terrible. Golston is the only guy on that list. Those, those are your big ones right there. Golston, Blair Thomas, Lamb Jones. If you want to have that conversation. Golston's the only one who never made a damn play in his career. Not once. Blair Thomas had a 100-yard game. Blair Thomas, I'm sure he scored, what, four or five touchdowns. He, he was terrible. Don't get me wrong. 
I'm just saying, if we're, I mean, when you're when you're talking players who perform this poorly, you got to put them under a microscope and, and and dissect the badness. And there was a lot of it, but for Golston, not one sack, not one forced fumble, not one fumble recovery, nothing. Never made a single play that he was drafted to make. Lamb Jones scored some touchdowns. Blair Thomas scored some touchdowns. Golston, nada, nothing. Bust. Prior to Golston, to Brickashaw Ferguson. Biggest hit on the list, really, over the last 30 years. Missed one snap in his career. Ridiculous. What a ridiculous career that guy had. Fantastic player. Comes across as a great guy. Look forward to seeing him go in the Ring of Honor one day. Canton candidate? Eh, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. All right, so prior to the brick, top 10, the recent, the most recent top 10 pick before him, already discussed him, Dwayne Robertson. He was another one. Jets gave up a couple picks to get him, moving to the top 10. And let's, okay, so a couple things with Dwayne Robertson. Mangini played him out of position. He was 315 pounds, and Mangini's got him playing the nose. I get, And everyone's in a tough spot there. Mangini didn't draft him. But he was such a high pick that they had to keep him. Mangini wasn't a guy who was going to negotiate and go with the scheme that suited his players because he was an egomaniac. And it was going to be my scheme no matter what, even if we don't have the players to run it. So Robertson, and then Robertson's out of the league in a few years. But but the thing with him is that, that, that they were idiots for drafting him. It came out years later that Dwayne Robertson had a degenerative hip condition that the Jets knew about. When they traded up to draft him. What an idiotic move. That's such a Jets move. Let's draft this 315-pound human being whose job it's going to be to fight other 315-pound human beings whose hip is falling apart. Gone. Out of the league after being traded to Denver. Top 10 pick before that. 1996. Number one overall. Keyshawn Johnson. And now he's another one. You, you can't call it a bust. You can't. But it was not good. Like You, you pick number one overall. The, the goal there isn't 10-year starter, which he wasn't with the Jets. The goal at number one overall is franchise-altering player. You get the best player in the country, ideally. You got Keyshawn Johnson, played four years, had some nice seasons, some great moments, very good possession receiver, was never any – if he was half as good as he thought he was, he, he would have been better than Santana Moss or Randy Moss, better than Jerry Rice if he was half as good as he thought he would. I've never heard a guy talk himself up the way Keyshawn did. Anybody who writes a book after their rookie year saying throw me a damn ball, I mean the ego on that guy. And that's why he didn't stay with the Jets. He had a couple years left on his deal. His good buddy Joey Galloway got a huge contract. And Keyshawn was jealous. He wanted he wanted to top his buddy Joey Galloway. And it, and in you know, full disclosure, this is all off the top of my head from years ago when when this all went down. I could be mistaken about the the, the exact, but I remember because the Jets had a policy. They would not negotiate with players who had more than a year left on their deal. Keyshawn was demanding a new deal because Galloway just got paid. And Keyshawn had two years left, so they had to trade him. 
So going back to my original definition of a bust, if you're a GM, do you make that pick again? Do you look at what happened with Keyshawn Johnson, a guy you took with the number one overall pick? Granted, you got two firsts for him, which is nice. Two first-round picks from the Bucks. But if I'm your GM and I come to you and I say, we're taking this guy number one overall, and you use your crystal ball, and you see that guy's going to be gone in a few years in exchange for some draft picks, do you make that pick again? I don't know that you do. But we'll, we'll, we'll call him, I just class him as a malcontent. Not a bust, not a stud. But the next one, the next one is the big one. This is the one that got fans upset. 1997, Bill Parcells selects linebacker James Farrier. And man, were people upset that I called James Farrier a bust. And again, and I had to explain this to people, I am talking about Jets players with the Jets. Now, if I had been doing an article on best free agent or a tweet, sending out a tweet or writing an article about the best free agent signings for the Pittsburgh Steelers, James Farrier makes that list. Great addition. Fantastic. But I wasn't doing a tweet or an article on great Pittsburgh Steelers free agent signings. It was an article about top 10 picks who were busts for the Jets. So Farrier goes eighth overall. Year one, they start him because he's the eighth overall pick. They keep starting him even though he's not playing well. He gets a sack and a half, 71 tackles as an outside linebacker, eighth overall pick, one and a half sacks, 71 tackles. Yeah, you know, yay. Year two with the Jets, two starts, 27 tackles, zero sacks. Year three with the Jets, four starts. Two sacks, 38 tackles. The following season, six starts, 56 tackles, one sack. This is eighth overall pick. Top 70 tackles once. Had two sacks once. And then 2001 comes, final year of his deal, and he lights it up at least from a tackle perspective. 142 tackles. Only five for loss. Only got in the backfield five times. Again, one sack. Had him play on the inside then, if I'm not mistaken. So then the Jets were in a bind. Because we hear it all the time, right? What do fans say? Don't go out and sign the guy who had one big season in his walk year. It's a fluke. He's going to go in the tank after that. Don't, don't let them fool you. Don't let them trick you. Well, it seems like that's the approach the Jets took. They said, look, we have a guy who gets us about 40 tackles a year. And then all of a sudden when there's money on the table, he gets 140. We can't afford to, to sign this guy and have him go back to being a 40-tackle-a-year guy. So they let him walk, and I can't blame them. And then he goes to Pittsburgh, and he becomes a pro bowler and plays with the Steelers from 2002 to 2011. Tops 100 tackles six times. Had a damn good career. Good player. Good football player. As far as the Jets are concerned, get that owner that crystal ball. 
say, hey, we're drafting this guy. And that owner takes a look and says, uh, looks like this guy's going to walk after his final year, and he's only going to have one good season. Look, the owner's going to say, let's not waste that pick. Let's get someone that, that's good enough that we'd like to have them around for a little while. So Farrier, to me, as a Jets draft pick, is a bust. Prior to that, 95, Kyle Brady. He should have just played offensive tackle. Had a decent career with the, with the Jaguars. And I sent out a tweet about this, too. Because enough people got upset with me over that assertion that a guy who plays three, four years with you and sucks and then goes somewhere else and plays well. I, I asked, is this a bust? 70% of fans agreed that's a, that's a bust. And I around 400 votes. So no, it's not, it's not Rich Samini getting 20,000 votes on a poll. But 400 fans, 70% of them said that's a bust. And I, I don't... Uh, 5% said it's a great pick. Who the hell says that's a great pick? Who the hell says, man, remember that time we drafted that guy and he sucked for four years and then he was great somewhere else? Oh, I'm so glad we picked him. That was a great pick. I don't know what the hell are people thinking. Great pick for who? Jesus. Anyway, Kyle Brady had a nice enough little career for himself with the Jaguars. But as a Jet, he was terrible. Hands of stone. Decent blocker. That was it. Marvin Jones came out of FSU. Man, I thought I thought Marvin Jones was going to be a Hall of Famer. Thought he was going to be all world. Um, turned out he was damn good. He's probably the next best guy on this list, really, as far as the Jets are concerned. So Marvin Jones, damn good pick. Not great. Again, didn't go to the Hall. Battled some injuries early on, but patrolled the middle of the field for the middle of the defense for a long time and did a nice job. 1990, Brian Thomas. That one will always sting because of Ed Reed. But again, we're only looking at this in terms of how the player performed. And Brian Thomas, Brian Thomas is one of the more interesting ones because he is one of those guys who fits the category, was nowhere near what the Jets thought he would be because of his speed out of UAB. They thought he was going to be a double-digit sack guy regularly, and he wasn't. But he had himself a solid ten-year career. And you look at the, and this is what this is where I, you know, people say, "Oh, he was a bust." And I'm like, if if you're going to call him a bust, in terms of you know missing coming up short of expectations, and maybe that is a pick the owner doesn't make again. Maybe he does. Probably doesn't. But are you going to put him in the same category as D. Milner and Vernon Golston and Mark Sanchez and Kyle Brady? If you want to call him a bust, he's, I mean, you got to have different classifications. You know, you can't just, you can't lump Brian Thomas in with Vernon Golston. I'm sorry. And I've seen Brian Thomas call the bust many times. I thought he was a good player. And you could make the case, you could make the case he wasn't a bust. He's the most interesting guy on the list in terms of that. Everyone else, I think, is is clearly a bust or not. And last but not least, 1988, offensive lineman Dave Cadigan. Full disclosure, I was a, just a kid back then. That's about the time I got into football, 87. And let's face it, your first few years as a kid, you're just following the ball, not watching the line play a whole lot. 
But Cadigan, I just don't remember being a very good player, and he didn't stay with the team very long. So for that reason, we're calling him a bust. So what do you have? You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven guys, eight of them busts, with Brian Thomas being on the on the bubble. Two of them were studs. Debrickishaw Ferguson, Marvin Jones. And then I just put Keyshawn down as a malcontent. Keyshawn, you could not call a bust. But a guy who wants to leave after a few years and ends up on another team, is that a pick you're happy with at the end of the day? So don't don't confuse this with, is this guy a good player? Because some people say, well, it's not a bust. It was, it was a wasted draft pick. Well, now we're splitting hairs. Are we going to say a guy's a wasted pick, but he's not a bust? I mean, can you be both of those things? If you look back at a guy you picked and it's you view that pick as a waste, that's a bust. So anyway, that's that. Since then, since the Jets, so what do we say? Three guys out of 11. Let's even say, let, let's even count Brian Thomas. Let's count Keyshawn Johnson and Brian Thomas just for the sake of being, uh, you know, generous. That means that in their last 11 draft picks that were in the top 10, the Jets hit on four. Seven misses, four hits. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about superstar hits. I'm talking about good player for a long time. So it looks like. If things continue to go the way they are, and if especially if you know if Leo picks up his play a little bit and sticks around, looks like Mike McCagney will be three for three with top ten picks. Now he has to get better outside of that. But as I've said many times before, I think that picking Jamal Adams over Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson has upset some fans so much that they're just never gonna give Mike McCagney credit for anything. Every every move he makes is terrible. Anything good is luck. We've talked about this before. It's like, uh, you know, beating a dead horse. But that's, you know, the, we, we got another draft coming up. We got some young players who will hopefully get another shot under uh, under a new coach. And hopefully these guys do a better job moving forward. Some of the, these young kids. But let's uh, let's talk. First, we're going to talk free agency real quick. Okay, um, and actually, not even, not even. This, this is going to be a quick, quick little snippet here. The uh, news came out the other day: the Pittsburgh Steelers will not be slapping Le'Veon Bell with a transition tag. Le'Veon Bell is going to be a free agent. The Jets will obviously pursue him heavily. Uh, reports from Manish Mehta that uh, Bell put on some weight, and the Jets are concerned about that. And there's also the the story that the Jets don't plan on breaking the bank for Bell. Now, you know, define breaking the bank. Are they going to offer twelve and they he wants thirteen? You know, at what where are you where are you drawing the line? And how firm is it? If you go into free agency saying, look, we're going to offer him twelve, but we're willing to go fifteen, and then him and his agent won't come down from seventeen, are you going to lose him over two million? We'll see. But he absolutely should be the Jets' top target in free agency, not only because he's a running back, but because this is not a very strong receiver crop in free agency. And he's a pretty damn good receiver, too. So just the multidimensional aspect that he brings, his suddenness, his explosion, it makes him worth it. Even if you you know structure the deal in a way, you give him a ton of money in the first three rounds, the first three years, and then, you know, 
smaller money after that and the ability to cut ties with him if Father Time catches up with him. But I think having the year off in Pittsburgh, I've talked about that before. I think that year off could uh, add a couple, one, one, two years of quality play to his career. Now, his teammate, Antonio Brown, is not a free agent. He is not able to go wherever he would like. The Steelers are shopping him. Teams will likely show heavy interest in him at the, at the scouting combine. But the Jets should not be one of those teams. This guy is making 20 is on the books for 21 million dollars and doesn't show up for a week 17 game last year goes on social media to say he would like to now be known as Mr. Big Chest and call me up if you've got cap room and guaranteed money this dude is out of his mind and I've talked about this before and I'll say it again and you don't have to like it but teams win Super Bowls consistently without players of Antonio Brown stature. Okay? We've done the list. And some guys have come close. I got it. But Antonio Brown, no rings. T.O., no rings. Randy Moss, no rings. Julio Jones, no rings. Chris Carter, no rings. The list of Hall of Fame receivers who don't win Super Bowls, and then the guys who do win them, Julian Edelman, Alshon Jeffrey. Who are some of the other? Baldwin, Doug Baldwin. Okay? You don't, you don't need an Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown's been in the league nine years. The Steelers have zero Super Bowl rings in his time. The Jets need to get better at receiver. They don't need a guy who's going, who's losing his mind, demanding more money from another team when he's got $21 million coming and didn't show up for a Week 17 game when his team needed him. Stay clear of him. And I get it. I mean, you don't think as a fan that I think about the possibility of lining up Antonio Brown and Robbie Anderson across from each other? Are you kidding me? Good Lord. That's two of the best deep threats in the NFL. Guys underneath like Herndon, Inunua, anybody, whoever, me, you, listening to this podcast right now. Be able to get open. Well, not me, not me. But be able to get open underneath. I understand. Bell? Imagine Le'Veon Bell. I'm starting to talk myself into this now, but no. No Antonio Brown. But Jesus, Antonio Brown, Robbie Anderson, and Bell with Herndon and Inunua? Yeah, okay, I wouldn't hate it. But don't do it. Don't do it. If you do it, i probably get on board with it. But I just I don't like the idea of bringing a guy like that into a locker room with a young quarterback, especially given the fact that, you know, some of the reports out of Pittsburgh said that a lot of Le'Veon Bell's heartache had to do with the fact that Juju Smith-Schuster was starting to shine in that offense. Uh, we don't need a guy coming in here who's going to start getting – uh, you know, pissy in the huddle because someone else is having a good game. Um, you, yeah, steer clear of him. Steer clear. As, as as much fun as it sounds like, as much as you might feel like the Jets would be playing Madden, having Sam Darnold throw to those guys, just don't do it. 
address receiver elsewhere some other way. So, moving on to the draft. That's that's our little free agency talk. Really just wanted to talk about Bell and Brown at that point because their names are being floated quite a bit. And again, understandably so. Understandably so. But NFL draft. So like I said, this will not, this is not going to be a mock draft. This is not going to be seven rounds. I did want to throw, I had a thought though. Speaking of round seven, I think the Jets could find themselves in a position where, and this, you know, this this won't be exciting to a, but it, it, a type of thing that could end up paying off in the long haul, in the long run. This is where having so few roster spots um, could come in to benefit the Jets in the long run. You'd have to imagine when the draft winds down. And those top undrafted guys, those top priority free agents, their phones start ringing. If you're an offensive guy, you're going to want to come to the Jets because you got a shot to play. You got a shot to play with a great young quarterback. And I mean, those young guys, they're, you know, they want to make a roster. You're an undrafted free agent. When you and your agent sit down and talk, you, you have to be making out a list. Where do I have the best chance to make a roster? And if you're a receiver or a tight end, and if, if you're an agent, you're doing your 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 client a, a misservice, a disservice if you're not saying, hey, man, go to New York. You know, even if they draft a guy and sign a guy, teams are going to carry five, six, seven receivers. So come draft time, when the draft wraps up, that's something I want to keep my eye on. I think the Jets might be one of those teams this year that winds up signing three or four top uh priority undrafted free agents and let's you know don't fool yourselves folks look around the nfl look at the pro bowl every year there's a ton of undrafted guys there teams miss on players all the time if that wasn't true you wouldn't have 20 30 pro bowlers who are undrafted you will find undrafted players who can play in the nfl and the jets after the draft which as i've said priority one trade down if you can't trade down Here's some names to throw out here. Some food for thought. All right, so you're the New York Jets. You're on the clock at three. The third overall pick. I don't see how, you know, as I said earlier, I think it's got to be it's got to be Josh Allen if I'm the Jets. I mean, if Bosa falls, of course. But I'll, t- I'll tell you, the Bosa thing, what worries me with him is the injuries. I mean, do you want to use a third overall pick on a guy? You know, we just talked about D. Milner a little while ago. A guy who never missed games in college and couldn't stay healthy in the NFL. Bosa. Bosa's had a lot of injuries. He's missed some time. But he's the consensus number one guy. We'll play along and we'll say the Jets take him if he's a three. If he doesn't fall and Quinn and Williams goes two, Bosa goes one, Quinn and Williams two, the Jets, you got to go Josh Allen at three. Got to. Other possibilities, names we've been hearing, of course, Quinn and Williams, who I just mentioned, and... I, that's another pick that I've kind of talked myself into a little bit. Uh, didn't want to believe I would be heading toward the draft this year and in favor of the Jets taking a D lineman. But when you look at Quinn and Williams, he looks like a hell of a player. So 
I mean, he, he could be a guy. But again, is he is he as big as good of a fit in a three four? He'd probably be able to play anything. Guy just beats the hell out of the guy in front of him. But Quentin Williams has to be a possibility. So Bosa, Allen, Williams. I've seen Rashawn Gary, D lineman out of Michigan. I'm not a big fan of that. I have, I'm not going to lie and say I've watched a ton of Rashawn Gary, but what I have watched, I haven't seen a lot of variety. I mean, if you're gonna you're gonna make it in the NFL, and you know it's not it's not as if it's something that can't be coached up over time, but he doesn't seem he doesn't show a lot of moves. He just shows brute strength, and you you know and I always say you can't let past picks scare you out of future picks. But when I see that, I worry because that was my number one thing with Vernon Golston. I didn't I know I didn't see a lot of him in college. Golston, that's a long time ago. But uh, when when I went to some Jets games when he was a rookie, I just remember thinking. Like, man, this guy just all he does is try to bull rush. He doesn't have a move. No spin, no rip, no, no dip, nothing seeing nothing. And from what I've the, the the bits of Rashawn Gary I've watched, that's what I've noticed. That's what's jumped out at me, worries me a little bit. So I actually Charlie Casserly, I think, mocked him to the Jets the other day too. So who's that? Uh McShay, Todd McShay and now Charlie Casserly, both mocking him to the Jets. I don't like it, to be honest. Now, we'll just touch on this real quick. If the Jets trade back, let's say they move back and they move back to seven. I think it's seven. That's when you start considering Jonah Williams, Alabama offensive tackle. We'll even say just top ten. Let's say they trade back to seven, six, seven, or ten. I think those are the slots I saw where they realistically could get a phone call. Jonah Williams, Brian Burns out of FSU. A really good edge guy, potentially a really good edge guy. Montez Sweat, Mississippi State. Those guys can get after the quarterback. I've seen them drafted. I've seen them projected in the top 10, top 15. So if you're in that area, in that neighborhood. But Jonah Williams, as I discussed before, wouldn't mind seeing him drafted, start this season at left guard, kick him out the left tackle next year. But staying with the picks they have, even if they, you know, I, I know I said a hypothetical trade down. We're not going to do any additional picks there. We're just going to say round three. So if you're picking in the third round, and I think in terms of the running back position, it's got to be Le'Veon Bell or a draft pick. Um, don't don't spend big money on if you're going to spend big money on a running back, let it be Le'Veon Bell. I don't want Mark Ingram. I don't. I want Le'Veon Bell or a rookie. So maybe you go with Harris from Alabama, who looks like a really good player, who some people projecting there being in the third round. Or do you go O-line? A couple guys I've had a chance to watch who I've been impressed with. Connor McGovern from Penn State, guard. Max Sharping. Haven't seen a ton of him. It's hard to get stuff on him, Northern Illinois. But what, uh, what I've heard about him, senior bowl, and uh, some PFF stuff, and the little bit I've been able to find on him to watch, I have been impressed. Plays tackle. Michael Jordan. Of course, the jokes for that one will be rolling in. But uh, interior lineman, guard, center type out of OSU. Looks like he can play. Wouldn't mind that in the third round. And really, I wouldn't hate the idea as, as much, you know, some people might say this is crazy, and I may have mentioned this recently, I would not hate the idea of another tight end. Even though you have Chris Herndon, 
if you can get another another guy who can block and catch, and this is a deep class, you might be able to get one. I would not be opposed to that. Maybe maybe out of Stanford, you get Caden Smith, someone like that, in the third round, who will probably be there at that point. I'll tell you what, double tight ends with Robbie and Quincy and a slot guy, how, you know, however you want to mix that up. A lot of possibilities there, and I, w- I wouldn't discount the possibility of a tight end because it's such a deep class, and you just want you just want quality targets for Sam Darnold is what you're what you're going for. This offseason is about protecting him and finding him quality targets. Round three with that second pick, sticking with the O line and targets for Darnold, Michael Dieter out of Wisconsin. He's been impressive. West Virginia wide receiver David Stills is another guy who I would definitely take a look at. As long as Jacoby Myers out of NC State, another wide receiver, fourth round. Or sorry, uh, that second, third rounder. Think he'll be on the board there. You know, we'll see what happens as as the, the draft approaches and some of these, you know, some of these names start to pick up. Uh but Savian Smith, he's a guy that I like in round four. I've actually, I, I, I think he's going to go higher than that. Going off of what I'm seeing on a, you know, some of the the online mocks, where where these guys are going to go. Smith is a guy. I, I'm curious to see his measurables at the combine. He's probably going to come in at six one, six two, and he he looks like he's got rangy. This is a long like Antonio Cromartie type arms. I'm curious to see what he measures at the combine. He's definitely a guy you got to look at, and you know, a guy like that, because again, what's going to happen in free agency is not a lot of great corners because they don't hit free agency. Maybe you bring Morris Claiborne back, as I've said before. Maybe you give Derek Jones a real look, but you can't bank on any of these guys. Especially, you know, either of those guys. Even if you love Derek Jones, he's not proven anything. Even if you you like Claiborne coming back, he he does still have the injury history. It's been better of late, but still significant enough that you can't just completely dismiss that out of hand. And I just just wanted to touch on some of these names this week because next week we're we're going to do a deeper dive on these guys, on all of them, um, and we're going to do <clears throat> we're going to go all seven rounds next week. And I haven't decided yet. Depending on how much I get done, maybe we do a full mock, full seven-round mock. Or maybe we go deeper dive on top four rounds, something along those lines. Because it's coming up on that time now, folks. Uh, free agency previews, mock drafts, things of that nature. They're all about to start flowing in. And it should be, it should be an interesting offseason. The Jets have a lot of spots to fill on that roster. Currently sitting at 39 players under contract. Like I said, probably a dozen of those guys are fringe bubble practice squad guys. So really you've got about 25 guys on the roster, 26 guys on the roster, who you can look at and say this guy's making the roster. So that's roughly half. Between now and opening, you know, opening day, the Jets have to put together basically one half of an NFL roster. That's a huge overhaul. And I do hope some of these young 
practice squad guys do stick because they've been with the team, they've been in the system. Guys like Ben Braden, you know, even if it's a, even if it's as a backup, you know, hopefully some of these guys win some jobs and the Jets start cultivating some talent with some of these young practice squad guys. But uh, until next week, until next week where we will, as I said, go deeper, dig, uh, we'll go full seven rounds, and we'll go more in detail. Today was like an overview. Let's throw some names out there. Let's let's see how how people react, what people think. Throw out a few possibilities. But next week's going to be a little bit more in-depth, touching on specific strengths and weaknesses of guys that the Jets should be targeting. We look forward to doing that, and we look forward to you tuning in. So thank you so much for joining us this week on Jet Nation Radio. Again, hopefully the uh, quality, sound quality will be up to par. And uh, next week, a little bit better. Have a great night, Jets fans. Take care.